Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. I'm very excited about this study. Uh, In fact, we began it a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Mark's uh, perspective on Jesus' ministry is quite unique from the other Gospels. Uh, Mark is not interested in the discourse or the teaching as much of Jesus as he is with the actions and the deeds and the miracles. And there's a key verse that uh, is described in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus, speaking of himself, says, I have come not to be served, but to serve, and uh, to give my life as a ransom for many. And so here in this verse, we see really the theme of Mark's gospel. Sorry, is that me? Trying to fix that, but um, we see the purpose of Mark's gospel that uh, he's presenting Jesus as as a servant. Well, not only a servant of men, as well as the Son of God, but also the Savior of the world. And and we see the sacrifice of Jesus later on in the gospel. But uh, it's been really cool because Mark uses this word immediately to describe the urgency of Jesus' ministry. And he uses it over 40 times in this letter. And uh, there we see Jesus move from one thing to the next. He's serving and, and he's ministering and he's healing. Up until this point in chapter 3, we have seen many crowds and many people, all the multitudes are already coming to Jesus from the various cities so that they can be touched and healed and, and ministered to um, by Jesus. But in the last chapter, chapter 2, we also saw that with increased crowds comes increased criticism. And he's beginning to receive a lot of criticism from the religious elite and the spiritual leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. And so last week we looked at the criticism that Jesus got for being a friend of sinners. That uh, Jesus was not only forgiving sin. You remember there was a paralytic that was uh, lowered down in front of Jesus on a mat. And uh, Jesus not only healed his body, but he forgave his sin. And that was really something that the Pharisees took issue with. And so Jesus proved his authority by not only healing this man physically, but forgiving of sin. But he's also accused of feasting or fraternizing with with sinners. Uh, Matthew uh, was called, or Levi was called, as a a follower and as as a disciple. And there was this radical change, uh, conversion that took place in his life. He had a circle of influence and a sphere of friends that uh, he reached out to and said, hey, you know, I got this guy, Jesus. He changed my life. Let me throw a dinner party. Let me invite you guys over. I want you to meet him. And uh, Jesus was just right there in the midst of all the sinners and the tax collectors and all the people that society or the religious elite would uh, look down upon. But really what we see is that Jesus is most comfortable with those who are least lovable. And he's right there in the midst of all of our brokenness and all of our pain. And he's touching. Just as he touched uh, more famously the leper who uh, had this skin disease that affected his body and affected his employment and affected his social status and uh, affected his relationships. 
But Jesus wasn't afraid to reach out and touch him. And so we see the power of God at work in the ministry of Jesus. But uh, that's going to continue on into chapter 3. And uh, the criticism is going to increase or intensify. Whereas the Pharisees and the scribes were asking questions and were seriously seeking to understand to some degree, Jesus' teaching and preaching and ministry. In chapter 3, we see it take a dramatic turn where now they are conspiring together to basically destroy Jesus. And so, uh, you know, what we're going to see here you know, in this chapter is uh, looking at the calling of the 12 apostles. That's kind of one of the more famous parts of this chapter uh, where Jesus calls the 12 apostles to himself and he commissions them and he chooses them and uh, he also empowers them and sends them for specific ministry. And this is really important because at this point, with all the needs, Jesus can't meet all those needs. So Jesus delegates that authority and that power, not only in the preaching of the gospel, but in the ministering of people uh, to other people. So this is important to expand the ministry and to reach more people. But I also see a wonderful process of discipleship in the calling of the disciples that we're going to get to here in a minute. And just the basic kind of just overview of this chapter I kind of want us to remember is that in this chapter, Jesus is abhorred by his foes, but he's adored by his fans. He's abhorred in the sense of being hated by his foes, the Pharisees and the scribes, but he's adored by the multitudes and by his apostles and by his followers. Now, what's interesting is, about, is that the criticism expands beyond the Pharisees and scribes because in this chapter, we see that his family and his friends express deep concerns about Jesus' ministry. And so the hatred of the Pharisees is also going to come with hurtfulness from his family. And so this is what Jesus is dealing with. And we're going to see this in three very simple ways, just a, a very simple outline for this uh, chapter. First, we're going to see Jesus courageously heal one man, and that's a man with a withered hand. Secondly, we're going to see Jesus call 12 apostles. And then thirdly, we're going to see Jesus confront many critics. So, a lot to get to. Hopefully we can cover all of it. But jumping into Mark chapter 3, verse 1, the story continues from what happened in the previous chapter. And he entered the synagogue again, and the man was there with a withered hand. So they watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. So we're introduced to the motive behind why these Pharisees were watching Jesus closely. Now, in general, it's really good as a follower or someone who's in church or a Christian to watch Jesus closely because wherever Jesus is, there is going to be a work of God, right? When Jesus is in the midst, then there is healing, then there's change, there's transformation, there's the power of God. And think about it, here Jesus is, is, is in the synagogue where the people of God are gathered for worship. Well, the same is true in our modern context today. We have the church, the people of God that are gathered, and whenever God's people gather, Jesus should be in the midst. I, didn't we just finish singing that, right? Like, it's all about Jesus. And so when Jesus is here in the church, then we should watch him closely and also expect that he is going to heal Expect that he is going to change. Expect that he is going to save. He is going to mend marriages and relationships. He's going to call back the prodigals. He's going to deliver people from addictions and so on and so forth. So the Pharisees watched Jesus closely knowing Jesus' pattern. They saw the need in the synagogue with the withered hand. 
And they said, you know what? Jesus is going to meet this need. That is a very important thing. But they approached it from a critical you know, viewpoint. They wanted to accuse him of this thing and accuse him of breaking certain religious traditions and customs and formalities of doing something on the Sabbath. Now, that was what he was accused for at the end of chapter 2, eating and baking bread for his disciples as they were traveling through the grain fields. And so Jesus, in verse 3, he said to the man with the withered hand, step forward. And he said to them, so he calls the man personally. And this wasn't something that uh, he was doing kind of covertly or secretly or under the radar for no one to see. He wasn't ministering to this man just kind of uh, privately. No, he was using this opportunity to reveal something very serious about the condition of the heart of these Pharisees and of these scribes. And it is a condition that carries on all the way throughout this chapter. And that is a hardness of heart towards the things of God towards the fresh work of God, towards the newness of God. Jesus said in the previous chapter, I have not come to patch something new, excuse me, patch something old, but preach something new. He's bringing something completely new and radical. And now he's going to call these Pharisees out. And he turns to the Pharisees and asks them a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. They were afraid. They didn't want to answer. And when he looked around at them with anger, everyone say anger. Now that's a pretty serious emotion, right? We don't usually equate anger as a good, positive thing in our lives. In fact, the Bible says that the wrath of man does not produce the godliness that should be in our lives. And usually if we're angry, it's because, you know, we're, you know, in the flesh or uh, we're, we're selfish and it's... It's not a positive emotion. But we actually see Jesus in the Gospels express this type of holy indignation, if you will. This righteous anger. And not only is he angry, but the following word says that he was grieved by the hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And, stretch, and as he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out immediately, plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So the Pharisees and the Herodians, before Jesus came on the scene, were bitter enemies. And now they're plotting together to destroy Jesus. Now I had hoped, and I'm sure as you read this, these verses, we all would have hoped that as they saw the power of God to heal this man, that the Pharisees and the scribes would say, Praise the Lord. They would start singing that worship song that we sang earlier. God be praised, right? They would be praising God. No, they actually hardened their heart even more to the goodness of God. And uh, there is this tremendous amount of power and, and love and, and grace that is extended. And then the following verses, we won't read them just in a summary from verses 7 through 12 talks about how Jesus ministered to the multitudes. It's something that is common up until this point in his ministry. Many people were coming. He was casting out demons. So he had power over the spiritual, uh, uh, you know, forces. Uh, he had power over the physical infirmities. He had power over the emotional insecurities that uh, we experience and people were experiencing in life. So many people sought to be touched by Jesus. But just in these opening verses, I want to make mention of a few things. First is, we see that Jesus courageously heals this one man. And this isn't new. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus has been healing many people. But this miracle is uh, quite um, 
uh, quite important because he begins to draw a distinction between the condition of these Pharisees and scribes. And he uses this as a teaching opportunity uh, to understand really the motive behind these Pharisees. And they want to destroy him and they're plotting against him. And Jesus was really angered and grieved. I don't ever want to do anything that would grieve or, or anger Jesus. But apparently an arrogant and prideful attitude toward the goodness of God draws the wrath of Jesus. It draws the anger and the grief of Jesus. And um, as he is grieved, he also knows that there is this need and he ministers to this man. And really, this is a powerful miracle. Now, we don't know exactly what afflicted this man. The Bible says that he had a withered hand. We don't know if this was a birth defect. We don't know if it was because of an accident. But basically, he couldn't move or function his hand properly. And so for Jesus to say, stretch out your hand, obviously, he could have responded in the very just really clearly, look, Jesus, that's impossible. I can't do that. And oftentimes, you know, when there's the impossible, we choose not to do it because it doesn't make any sense. And so Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And ultimately, we see basically this man's faith. This man had faith and biblical faith is just trust. He, trust, he trusted in Jesus. And so as he extended his, his hand in faith to Jesus, he was healed. Now, I don't know if you've ever played sports or you've ever done, you know, sort of uh, practice or, or, or exercise or lifting of weights. Uh, oftentimes in playing sports, you do practice and you stretch. Well, a big part of playing sports and practicing is stretching. And why do you stretch? Well, basically so you don't throw your back out and you don't uh, hurt your, your hamstring and uh, you don't hurt your arm or whatever it is. You can be stronger, uh, more agile. You have uh, more flexibility. You have more movement. Well, the same is true spiritually in a sense of exercising and flexing this muscle of faith. You know, in the previous chapter, Jesus looked at the men who were lowering his friend down on the mat. And the scripture says he saw their faith. Now, how do you see faith? It seems to be immaterial. It doesn't seem to be something that you can touch or grasp. It's a decision. It's a commitment. It's a devotion. It's something you place in something or someone. And Jesus saw their faith. The same is true of this man. This man extended faith as he extended his hand. And I'll just say that the best way to strengthen your faith in God is to stretch it out to Jesus. Stretch out whatever God is calling you in difficulty or impossibilities or uncertainties. As we put our faith in action, the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. We place our trust and dependency upon Jesus. And there's the same interaction, I believe, to this day that takes place. Obviously, this is a very contextual miracle that Jesus was performing in this man's life. But spiritually speaking, there is a sense of extending and stretching out our faith and trust to Jesus in the uncertain and in the impossible times so that the Lord can strengthen. It's an exercise of spiritual strength of our faith in the Lord. And then what we see in response to that is the malice, the malice of these leaders and religious spiritual people who wanted to destroy Jesus. And ultimately, this comes down to the hardness of their heart. See, the hardness of heart is an enemy to the goodness of God. They could no longer see. Uh, they were no longer pursuing. They were bound by the rigid systems and customs and traditions of the past. And Jesus actually asks them a question. 
He says, is it good or lawful? Now, they didn't answer this question, but Jesus basically says there is never a wrong time to do the right thing. It's never a wrong time to extend faith. It's never a wrong time to minister to another person. It's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And Jesus is on the scene to do the right thing and really touch the afflicted, all the multitudes of people. I just think just in the you know, application for us today, in understanding that whatever might be withered in our lives, whatever might be, there might be um, incapable, whatever uh, might feel like it's just falling apart, we can always go to Jesus. We can always extend that to him. I love that Jesus picks up our burdens the moment we lay them down to him. And when we lay those down to him, he carries them and he strengthens us. So whatever infirmity you might be experiencing, stretch that out by faith to Jesus Christ. Because he wants to touch and he wants to minister and he wants to heal. But also there's a warning here. And that warning is not to harden our hearts. And other scriptures talk about how if you hear God or you see God or you sense God working in your life, don't harden your heart. Because there comes a time where God just says, okay, you want it that way? Then you can live that way. And you know, I spent many years of my life with a hardness of heart living my own way. And my own way ran my life into a ditch. It uh, got addicted to drugs and alcohol. It, uh, it hurt a lot of people. It filled my heart with pain and anguish. In fact, I was talking to someone afterwards who could relate to some of my testimony. And uh, he was saying that, um, you know, while drugs and alcohol can waste our lives, we also see that Jesus can take the wasted parts of our lives or the withered parts of our lives and bring something fresh, bring something beautiful, bring something new in the healing. I said, yeah, that's really true. He's done that in my life, and I know he can do that in your life. And he still gives you and I that same invitation. Step forward. Stretch out your hand. Touch me. Handle me. See. Let me heal. Let me work. So it's just a beautiful interaction that Jesus has with this man, but unfortunate interaction that he has with these leaders. And now they plot to destroy Jesus. However, in the midst of this, we see Jesus call his 12 apostles, and we, we read that in verse 13. Look with me there. And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Now, the other gospel tells us that Jesus spent the entire night praying before he made this decision. And it was a common custom for Jesus to spend many hours, early hours or all hours of the night, uh, in loneliness and isolation uh, with his heavenly Father, seeking and praying to the Lord. But um, I just love these, these verses that, you know, obviously he's talking about calling the apostles and these men who had a, a unique role and responsibility in Jesus' earthly ministry, but also in, um, you know, the kingdom of God. So, but we also see that um, Jesus wanted these men. And I can't help but think that the same is true today. You know, the best way to know Jesus is to get close to Jesus. And Jesus, before he sends these disciples, uh, before he empowers them, he calls them to himself. Now that's significant because if you remember the story in the book of Acts, where just in a few short years after Jesus ascended up into heaven, that these apostles turned the world upside down. They were preaching with the power of God. And uh, the leaders called them in. 
And they said, where'd you get this power and where'd you get this authority? Because you're uneducated, you're unlearned men, but we perceive that you have been with Jesus. And there's no greater feeling in knowing that you're wanted by someone, that you're accepted by someone. Now, maybe something has happened in the past where you feel actually rejected by someone. Maybe your life started off as a continual series of rejections because of something someone said or the decisions that loved ones made. The fact of the matter is that while all people may abandon you or reject you, Jesus never does. He wants you. He desires you. He's pursuing you. He loves you with an everlasting love. There is neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor drugs nor alcohol nor depression. I just added those in if you're familiar with the verse. But, uh, or fill in the blank or worry or anxiety that can ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is extending that invitation and pursuing you. Listen, Jesus wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you. And he called to himself those that he wanted. You know, the Bible also says that as a follower and as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that we are a holy priesthood, a royal people, a peculiar people, a people belonging to Jesus. Now, you might think, oh, well, these are the apostles and they are called to do ministry. Oh, well, the pastor up on the stage or the missionary on the, on the field or the children's worker, those people are called into ministry. Friends, listen, the important thing to understand is that every single member of the body of Christ is a minister for Christ. Everybody is called. We're a royal priesthood. So I just see priests and priestesses. All you guys are beautiful in the sight of the Lord. That uh, all the gifts and all the talents and all the abilities, that you can throw dinner parties for all your sinners and tax collector friends. You know, throw the biggest parties you can imagine and invite people and connect with people. Connect with your neighbors. Connect with your family. Connect with your friends and share that. This is really the rhythm of being a disciple We gather for worship, but we scatter for witness, right? Here, the disciples are sitting to study with Jesus, but then they're sent to serve other people. It's this constant rhythm of growing in God and going for Christ. And that's what Jesus is calling them to. But before you ever get going for God, make sure you sit with Jesus. Make sure you're close to Jesus. Because if we go and do on our own ability and strength, then what happens? Well, then we're going to burn out. Then it's going to be all on us. Then the glory and the attention comes to us versus going to God, being dependent upon him because the process here for the disciples are they were called, they were chosen, they were commissioned, they were certified. Jesus wanted them. He called them to himself. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal the sickness and cast out demons. And we have the list of the 12 men. This is an interesting cast of characters, right? Uh, I think it's easy for us to criticize or poke fun or even blame some of the people who are failures in some extent in the scriptures. But I think we identify more with them than anything. And these group, this group of 12 apostles, there were brothers in this group. There were business associates. There were political opponents. There were extremists. There were even betrayers. Jesus said, come one, come all. Look, it doesn't matter. Whosoever means whosoever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. doesn't matter what we've done in the past. God calls. But what happens in the future once he calls, right? When God calls you close, then what, what, what happens is we see that um, his guidance becomes clearer. You see, the closer that you get to Jesus, the clearer his guidance in your life becomes. And there's purpose and significance and meaning that is infused to the mundane and the routine of life. Well, we might think it's mundane and routine. We've got the nine to five. We have the same routes that we drive. We have the same stores that we go to. We do the same things on the weekend. And then we repeat it all over again. But friends, that's not life. Life is living for Jesus. Life is seeing that every opportunity, every relationship, every trip to the store, every drive on the freeway, every interaction with a neighbor is an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. Now, how are you going to see Jesus or what does it look like? What does Jesus look like in a person? Well, well, we want to see his compassion. We want to see his grace. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit as we're called close to Jesus, there's more clearance, a clear indication of his guidance in our lives. But we're also brought into this process of discipleship where now Jesus is the master and we are the apprentice. I don't know if you've ever learned a new trade uh, from time to time or a new skill or you, you went to community college to, to, to learn something new or whatever it is. Uh, usually there's somebody who is a lot better at that than you. And what do you do? You pursue them. You ask them, hey, can I spend time with you? Can I watch you? Can I learn from you? For me, it was fly fishing. I love fly fishing, but I, I didn't know anything about it. And so one of my friends is a world-class fly, fly fisherman. So I said, can I just bum along? <laughs> can I uh, come with you? Can I learn how to tie the knots? Can I learn uh, how to set up the rig? Can I learn how to cast? Well, that's a real tough one. If you've ever fly fished, that's really difficult. So you're learning through this style of apprenticeship. And it's the same thing with Jesus. As you sit with Jesus, as you open up your Bible, as you spend time with him, as you remove the distractions, because there's so many distractions that are pinging your emotional whatever it is just to get your attention. When we remove those distractions and really hear the heart of God and see the heart of God and draw close to Jesus, then things become more clear. Then we're in this process of of apprenticeship with him. We're learning to look like and live like Jesus. But ultimately... Jesus' purpose in drawing them close is to send them out. And uh, as they grow in God, they are going to be sent for Jesus. And Jesus provides the authority and the power that these men need. And also the authority and the power that you and I need to be ambassadors and witnesses for Jesus. The scripture says in the book of Acts that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be witnesses unto me in Alpine, in Pine Valley, in Blossom Valley, in El Cajon, in San Diego. That's actually not what my translation says, but uh, you know what I mean. There is an opportunity that we have wherever we go to have the power of Christ in our lives. And God always provides power to those who pursue his purpose. And his purpose doesn't mean that you got to be a pastor of a church. Your purpose could be completely different, but your purpose is as significant and as important as the next person sitting beside you. Because it's your purpose. It's God's purpose in you. And when you see the purpose of God as a disciple of God, with the power of God and the Holy Spirit in you, then it really opens up life. As Jesus said, I've come to give you life 
and life more abundantly. Here are these men called by Jesus, uh, chosen, accepted, appointed, drawn near, but also sent out. And this, even to this day, is the rhythm of the church and being a follower of God. But the story doesn't end there. We'll just close with this because uh, Jesus is confronted by many foes here in verse 20. Read with me there. Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his own people heard about this, now that's talking about Jesus. Jesus had some people. His people were his family and his friends. You have your people. They're your people. They're not my people. And I have my own people. They're not your people. So we all have people, right? They're family. They're friends. They're neighbors. They're in our circle of influence. And Jesus had his people, and they were really concerned. One, because he's not eating properly. Two, because he's spending, he's not sleeping properly. Three, because he's got all these people surrounding him, right? They're really concerned. So his family and his friends misunderstood Jesus' ministry. But the Pharisees and the scribes were threatened by Jesus' authority. So there's hatefulness, but there's also hurtfulness because now Jesus is even being rejected by his own family and his own friends. His own people went over to lay hold of him, to remove him, to take him, to say, come on, you are out of your mind. Jesus, you freaked out. And I don't know if uh, you've ever been accused of being a Jesus freak, but uh, whenever you are a fanatic for Jesus, it's usually going to freak out some family and friends along the way, especially if they don't follow Jesus themselves. And uh, Jesus is just really radical. He's ministering and, and serving and preaching and doing all these things. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, that's an important phrase. Here's an official delegation from Jerusalem to assess Jesus' ministry because they feared that the people were being duped by some charlatan or some fake or phony guy. And their intent was to discredit Jesus' ministry because you have to remember that their purpose was to destroy him. And that word destroy is pretty clear. They want to kill him. Take him out. Eliminate, eliminate the threat. This was covert operations, right? This is a military operation hatched from the spiritual hub of Jerusalem. And they're coming down to discredit Jesus. And they discredit him by saying that he's just full of Satan. Look in uh, verse 22. They came down from Jerusalem and said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he casts out demons. So they're accusing Jesus of being possessed by Satan and casting out demons through the power of Satan. Now Jesus is going to uh, you know, talk about a parable and in this parable he's going to give some really just wisdom and clear understanding into how foolish the accusations that they are making against Jesus. And Jesus says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. And no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Now, Jesus is saying that Satan is the strong man. And the strong man as Satan comes in and just wreaks havoc in people's lives. And Jesus is on the scene not to work alongside Satan as the strong man, but to bind up the strong man, to take control of the strong man, and to set right the things that are wrong because of Satan as the strong man. And uh, things in our lives do not need to stay under the control of Satan when Jesus is on patrol in our lives. 
when Jesus is on the scene, when he is in our lives. You know, the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And oftentimes people might think, even Christians might think, well, am I possessed by Satan? Am I filled with demons? Listen, Jesus died on the cross to deliver you from the power of darkness and transfer you into the, his marvelous light. There is no neither height nor depth nor angels, and we've already said that verse, but the power of God to deliver you. Sure, you might be... Um, Sure, you might experience some oppression from spiritual forces. They might come against you and deceive you and lies. They might try to lure you or entice you into temptations. But uh, with the armor of God and, and the sword of the Spirit and uh, the shield of faith and the helmet of righteousness and all these wonderful things that God gives us to stand against the wiles and trickeries of the devil, there is power that God gives you and I to, have, to be victorious and uh, to conquer Satan's tactics. So, say, so Jesus basically says, this is foolishness. A house divided cannot stand. However, he goes one step further because uh, as the religious leaders attribute the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the ministry of Satan, Jesus gives a very clear warning. And in verse 28, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins. Everyone say all sins. All sins. All sins. You know, there's another verse in uh, that says that uh, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And uh, all sin means all sin. However, the warning here is that all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. And now the context of what Jesus is saying here is in verse 30. Because they said, Jesus has an unclean spirit. So by equating the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Jesus Christ, they are blaspheming against God's power and God's word. And why is it? Well, we we're already told that, not only in the previous verses, but also here, because of the hardness of heart in their lives. They can't accept. Now, God's forgiveness, according to the scripture, is available to us at all times, in all circumstances. So the issue about the unforgivable sin or the unpardonable sin is not that forgiveness isn't granted, but that forgiveness isn't sought. And these men have hardened their hearts so much to the power and the work and the goodness of God that they are no longer seeking the forgiveness of God. But friend, there is wonderful hope. Because I've talked to many Christians over the years who have been concerned about committing the unpardonable sin. Have I committed a sin that God will never forget? Maybe you've ever wondered that or worried about that. Well, I often tell people, if I've talked to, talking to them about that question, I said, are you worried about sin? Are you concerned about grieving God? Are you concerned about whether or not you have committed sin against God? Well, listen, if you're worried about sin, then it's usually evidence of the Spirit of God in your life. That God's Spirit is working. That God's Spirit is convicting. That God's Spirit is moving. And you don't need to be fearful because Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world. But that through Jesus, the world might be saved. Condemnation comes from Satan. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And do not harden your hearts, friends. Do not harden your heart against the goodness of God. The grace of God. The invitation of God. When you receive that invitation, be open 
to the work of God in your lives because there's very clear evidence of the Holy Spirit when there is concern and brokenness and worry about the sin that is in our lives. And if you have that, or if you're experiencing that, let me encourage you as our worship team comes on up and just closes us in this song. Stay with me here because this is important. If you are experiencing some of that condemnation or that worry or even that guilt, listen, friend, the guilt that you may be experiencing because of things that you've done in the past, that's not from God. That guilt is not from Jesus. It's from Satan. He wants to distract you. He wants to tear you down. He wants to accuse you. He wants to pull you out of the race. He wants to push you down. But Jesus wants you. Jesus loves you. Jesus says, reach out and touch me, and I will touch you. Jesus invites you into close proximity to him. Jesus wants to fill you, wants to forgive you, wants to heal you, wants to touch you. This is the Jesus of Mark chapter 3, and this is the power of God in the midst of of Jesus' ministry, and he can also do the same thing in our lives. So with that, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning, and so much good stuff here. There's challenging things as well. And we thank you, Lord, that this warning that you give to these men, be careful, be careful. Don't harden your heart so much that you no longer want to receive my forgiveness. I walk away from God. I know I walked away from God for many years of my life. And maybe you accepted Christ as an early, at an early age and you were really on fire for God. You just were at every single church Bible study. You were at all the home Bible studies. You were serving in ministry, but something happened. There was a switch. There was a change. Your heart got jaded. Your heart got hurt. Your heart got hard. And you're no longer reading your Bible as much anymore. You're no longer going to church as much anymore. You're no longer worshiping as much or no longer praying as much. Listen, those aren't indications of whether you're a good Christian or not, but they are indications of the wanderings of your heart because we will always prioritize that which is important to us. And let me just encourage you to prioritize being close with Jesus because he wants that every single day, every single moment. So come back to him. Soften your heart. Reach out those withered areas of your life that you need God to touch. As we sing this song, you can do that just in the quietness of your own heart. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, wash me. God, walk with me. Thank you for your love. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.